Well, welcome to The Raw Roast, where we have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. My name is Tucker Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. And today I'm here with Matt Rustin. Matt is the executive director of Made to Flourish. And uh, the mission of Made to Flourish is to empower pastors and their churches to integrate faith, work, and economic wisdom for the flourishing of their communities. Uh, prior to him serving in a, as the executive director of Made to Flourish, he served as a pastor uh, for many years. And uh, Matt, it is good to have you on the show today. Great to be with you, Tucker. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I, I would love for you to share a little bit more about um, Made to Flourish and uh, a little bit of your background, too. What what led you to be uh, take an interest in this topic of faith, work, um, and economics and uh, the integration of these three things? What uh, what led you to be in this position? Yeah, thanks, Tucker. You know, I think that's uh, there's probably a lot of answers to that question, but if I could kind of zoom in on what I think um, really awakened me, it was really my first pastoral position outside of uh, seminary. I graduated from Trinity uh, Seminary in Chicago and took a pastoral position in Kansas City area. And the church there that I was involved in just did a really nice job and consistently was helping think people think through the implications of their faith on their everyday work, um, both theologically, but also really practically. And it came out, uh, they didn't have like a program or they didn't have like a class that they taught, but it came out in their regular discipleship curriculum. It came out on Sunday sermons. It came out on blog posts that they would write. In other words, it was just kind of in the water. So I saw that modeled among pastors, but what really caught my attention was when congregation members took that message and embraced it and started living out their faith in really compelling, beautiful ways in the workplace, uh, whether that was you know, architects or business owners or mechanics, you just had a sense of no, God has called me to this place, and I want to think through the implications of that, uh, not outside of my job description, but like through my job description, through the actual work that I do. And I think it was that positive feedback loop of seeing uh, a church committed to it, but what that produced in the lives of people. And I caught the bug. I just thought, wow, um, this is really great. And um, not only kind of the, the impact that it had in the congregation, but really being rooted uh, in the biblical story and, and seeing uh, work as part of God's design. And we'll probably get into more of that yeah. as we talk, but those are some of the influences that I had. Well, those of us on uh, our pastoral staff you know, are familiar with Made to Flourish. Maybe talk a little bit more about what Made to Flourish is. Um, what is your uh, specific role I mean, you know, as executive director? What is your involvement with Made to Flourish? Um, you know, I, I read the mission statement, you know, right off of uh, Made to Flourish's website, but share a little bit more with our listeners. What What is Made to Flourish? What is your, what are you all about? Yeah, so we're a network. We serve uh, a little over 4,000 pastors who have joined our network. Uh, and then there's about another 8,000 people who have gone to our website and they've filled out some information and received some materials that we send out. Um, but at the very base of it, it's really just coming alongside of congregations and saying, how can we help you empower your people uh, to more intentionally engage their faith in the context of their work? And what does that mean? There's lots of ways it 
can come out um, through the Sunday worship gathering, through their discipleship pathways, uh, through the outreach of the church. And uh, we're not a one-way street either because we are a network. We're listening to stories like, you know, what are you doing, Tucker? And how can we share that with the network? So we're trying to connect best practices across the country. And then you might have heard, if, if your listeners are really paying attention, um, that we also in our mission statement use the phrase economic wisdom. So it's not just me personally, my work, me and Jesus and my job, but also how does the church in, engage their community uh, with economic wisdom, not merely in relief programs and kind of perpetual relief programs, but thinking about how do we expand economic opportunity, help people find jobs? Mm. How do we think about more of a development approach rather than a relief approach? We think it's fantastic when churches are, are opportunistic about relief, but we'd love to see them operationalize development. And it's just this idea of um, expanding work opportunity for people in their community. Um, so, yeah, I can maybe hear one of our listeners say that, you know, of course, they might think work is important. You know, the economy is important, but maybe s- secondary in the biblical narrative, where how would you respond to someone in a conversation who might not think of faith, work and economics as a, uh, a central issue in the biblical storyline? Um, where do we see it in the biblical storyline? And maybe the question, is it, is it a central, does it play a central role in the biblical narrative? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you can answer that, but, uh, I know at Calvary, you guys talk a little bit about the big biblical story Mm -hmm. and we could say that story has, uh, four big major chapters. Some people say six, but there's basically four really big movements in the biblical story. And the first is in the first couple chapters of Genesis. In uh, Genesis chapter one and two, uh, we call that creation. Uh, maybe your congregations heard you talk about that. But why that's so important, why theologians give that so much weight is because we are given a glimpse, a picture of God's design for human beings in his world before there's a fall. In other words, this is, was his intent for his creation. And what you see when you read Genesis 1 and 2 very closely is um, work, maybe it's not the central role, but it takes a very prominent role in Genesis 1 and 2. For instance, at the end of Genesis 1, when God does all his work of creating, uh, that's actually how the Bible describes it. It says he finished his work of creating and then he rests. And of course, we know that he creates uh, humans in his um, image uh, to rule over creation and to to bear his image, to steward the, uh, the world by working as he would, uh, kind of as these, as these kings that he has put in place. Um, and then right away in, in Genesis 2, we see this picture of um, he didn't say to Adam, sing to me or pray to me. Or he said, here's a shovel. <laughs> Start digging up the ground, yeah. bring out the potential and and create and, and make and, and keep and guard it. Um, and then he brings along Eve, not simply to have babies, but she's a helper in this work uh, that he's that he's given them to do. So right away, God is described as a worker. He gives his uh, people a job to bring out the raw materials of the world and make something out of the world in a way that might represent his rule on earth. So, so work um, not right being, away. yeah, so work not being a uh, result of the fall, which 
you know, I think many people probably have that idea that, well, I have to, I have my nine to five job as a result of the effects of rebellion uh, and, uh, and sin in the world. But I mean, what I hear you saying is it's actually central to the creation account in, in, in Genesis one and two. Yeah. And you know, it's uh that's part of the biblical story too, that, that gut feeling that people have of, you know, work is, it actually sometimes stinks. It oftentimes yeah. stinks and it's not all that it's meant to be. That's part of the biblical story too. And we see that not only in Genesis three is, you know, there's a pronouncement to the man and to the woman, but work itself. Now there are thorns and thistles and gosh, in my own personal life, whether that's um, we war against work by, um, being lazy and avoiding it, or we try to grab a hold of it and making it an idol. Um, all the relationship clashes, the amount of shame we experience in work. Work is a mess in our world. Pick up the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, and every day hmm. there's something about the brokenness of our world expressed through work. It's just a reality. Hmm. Um, but I think what we see in, in, in redemption, then moving to that third part of the story, when Christ redeems us, hmm. uh, Colossians gives us this beautiful picture that we're being remade Mm. in the image of our creator. Mm. And what Paul is calling us there is that part of Christ's work of redemption is actually renewing that image, that, that, that original intent of God's design in Genesis one and two, what he called us to do to, to participate with him uh, and to create and to rule over his creation as he would um, to represent him. That's really what is meant by this uh, doctrine of the Royal priesthood, right? That we are um, between God and man and that we're taking up our positions as priests, wherever that is. So Um, do we see, I mean, so, you know, fast forward then to, you know, that, that final chapter of, you know, We've used the language here at Calvary of, you know, consummation or new creation. I mean, do we see work play a role in the the final chapter of the biblical narrative? Yeah, we certainly do. Um, and there's mystery here. I don't want to. I don't want to act like there isn't, but we don't see a disembodied heaven where we're kind of flying around, but we see heaven and earth being reunited and meeting together. That's the picture in, in revelation, it's going to be a material world. And you get these snippets, uh, in the gospels where Jesus will say things like, um, he'll, you know, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Yeah. Or he talks about kind of ruling in the new creation. Um, I, I can't quote it exactly, but, uh, you know, pastor John Artberg had had a, a conversation with the philosopher and, and writer Dallas Willard. Hmm. And he loved to ask these short questions. He says, um, Dallas, what is heaven? And, you know, your listeners will have to Google this because I can't quite quote it. But he just said basically that it's humans beings contributing on this vast plane of activity with ever increasing cycles of productivity on an unimaginably productive and, and glorious team. In other words, he's saying like. Remember that picture back in Genesis, Adam yeah. and Eve, shoulder to shoulder, and it's just delight as they're creating. Um, we will have all eternity to explore God's world and create beautiful things. And 
I don't know what that's going to look like, but Jesus alludes to this. Yeah. Um, you've been, uh, you've been faithful a few things. I will put you in charge of, of many things. And he's pointing there to the new heavens and new earth. Um, so we will work. And I think we get a sense of that, right? Like yeah. when we, we have these just moments of joy, just little tastes of joy in our work where we say, that was so fulfilling. That was so wonderful. And you feel so alive, like God has, and sometimes it's just mowing your yard, right? Yeah. It's it's not necessarily like the best sermon you've ever given. It's like, gosh, there's a delight in the fulfillment of being done with something and seeing what your work has done. Well, I know, you know, pastoral ministry and you, I mean, you would know too, you know, being in pastoral ministry that there, we don't actually see the the finished work of I mean, it's. It, I mean, discipleship is a, a lifelong process, and there's something so like. I mean, like you said, mowing your lawn. There's something so satisfying about seeing the nice, perfect lines. Uh, <laughs> you know, a nice manicured lawn after you're done. That is probably you know probably speaks to some aspect about what it means to be made in God's image as being uh, little creators and feeling that satisfaction of of creation or uh, cultivating. Um, that's right. That raw material. Um, that's really good, Matt. I, I, I mean, you you really, uh, I think, outlined work as it plays out in the, the biblical narrative uh, really well. One of the areas that I don't think we've talked about as much at Calvary is another one of the aspects of the mission statement uh, of Made to Flourish that you already highlighted, and that's the role of economic wisdom. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what what is what do you mean by economic wisdom? How can the church play a central role in um, in the economy? I don't think that's often something we think about when it comes to the mission of the local church. Maybe talk a little bit more about what's meant by that and some ways that you've seen churches play a significant role in um, cultivating the health of their their local economies. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts um, out with just this fact that um, God's normal way of providing for his people is uh, through is through work. And where, where do I get that? Um, it's interesting that even as you talk about the Exodus, you know, we love to point to kind of how it's a picture of Christ and, yeah. um, you know, the Passover lamb. But when you if you were to ask Israelite, like, what's the meaning of God's deliverance in the Exodus? It is, uh, it is deliverance out of bondage to slavery, this oppressive form of work and this oppressive economy into a space where they have their own land. Each person has apportioned their plot to cultivate and to develop. And, uh, and there's lots of laws around there around guarding that economy, whether mm-hmm. that's the Jubilee, um, most of the prophets are railing against uh, brooches of that economic contract that you're acting like the Egyptians um, and you need to act like my people and you're not, you're, mm. you're pressing others. Um, and, and you, and you talk about something like, even as we talk about like God's justice, what does that look like? You know, the gleaning laws in Leviticus. Um, so I, God has given me this plot of my field to work, but there are poor people among me. There are people that have come in from other countries and I could just give them some grain, but God's law actually says in Leviticus, leave the edges of your field 
undone. Leave work undone so that other people can come and participate in work to provide for their needs. And of course, we see that in the book of Ruth. We see kind of this narrative of that play out where um, this very righteous man, this Boaz, who is beginning a kinsman redeemer, he he leaves the outside and it's a foreigner that now is able to work. And you read that narrative closely. Of course, it's bound up with a lot of work, too, because he's he's telling his men, you need to be uh, you need to be kind and you need to you know take care and don't lay a hand on any of these women. What is he doing? He's cultivating a workplace uh, mm-hmm. there that's going to be safe. But this is all a part of, of God's economy. And there's there's a place for alms. That's, uh, you know, this aspect of relief that's Mm -hmm. in the Bible too, but churches need to get beyond sort of toys at Christmas and turkeys at Thanksgiving and soup in the summer and backpacks for kids, all of which can be great. But how do we think about um, economic opportunity in our communities? Are there some examples that you've seen um, of churches that have modeled this really well that uh, you, you feel like maybe serve as a as examples for other churches to follow? Yeah, there are all kinds of examples. I mean, a lot of people have been impacted by um, the book When Helping Hurts mm-hmm. um, by Brian Fickard, and a lot of the themes uh, we're talking about are described there. But, you know, I could point to there's a there's an organization in Florida that we've highlighted called Better Together. Okay. And um, they serve, um, they, they try to keep um, children out of the foster care system. But one of the big ways they do that is actually by helping uh, single parents uh, and just people that, that don't have work find work. The founder's story was that she almost had to go into foster care because her dad lost her job, which led to alcoholism, which led to break in their marriage. So even if you say we, we love something like foster care, to get upstream of that, uh, probably employment is, is part of the puzzle. So what they're doing is they're partnering with churches. I think to date, 500 churches hmm. uh, have done a job fair um, through their church where they come in, they train their leaders. Now you're engaging uh, people who are hiring managers and have different levels of authority in your community and in your church. And uh, they say, you might think of a job fair as something that's kind of dry, kind of boring or intimidating, but um, they, they, they have people from the church there. They're praying with people as they come in, they're walking alongside of them, they're helping them and Mm. they are engaging their community through their doors in a way that people might never come to uh, a Sunday service, or they might be intimidated by that, but there's signs everywhere that says, come find a job, we'll help you. And they've got um, employers that will ring the bell uh, the day that someone gets it like right there on the spot. So you hear all these bells ringing, people are what cheering. A cool idea. Um, yeah. And so that's just like one tiny glimpse of a church that is saying, let's think about economic opportunity. One quick story about that. There's a, there's a church in Washington, DC, um, I think it's Anacostia Bible Church uh, is the name of it. And they had been trying to reach this local gang and were really concerned about the violence and just what it was, how it was disrupting their community. And they could not break into this local gang. Um, They do a job fair there. And who do they see in line to get a job? (laughs) Like two or three members of this gang. And they're going there. And now the church is like um, this place where these gang members are seeking out their church. So... I'm not saying every job fair is going to be like that, but when the church begins to say, we're not going to just hand you a turkey at Thanksgiving, but we actually want to help you and pair you with employers. 
it's uh it's a picture of of matthew 5 right let yeah. your light shine be a city on a hill that's just not us individually that's also the the local church you know i i i've heard some and maybe could hear some ask the question is this uh you know is is being concerned about people's work is it just a distraction from discipleship or evangelism how do you respond to those who might be concerned that you know if we if we, we are concerning ourselves as a church with um, connections into the community or people's actual actual work, that we're just distracting ourselves from evangelism and discipleship, what are how would you respond to, to someone who poses that question or that concern? Yeah, I think my friend um, was down in Texas. He grew up culturally Jewish. Um, his dad's a very successful uh, businessman and um, this this uh, friend of mine became a Christian later on in life um, and his dad uh, was very hardened in his heart towards Christianity mm. and he told his son he said um, I would never become a Christian mm. because the Christian business people that I worked with in the city where he was working, he said they were the most uh, cruel. They were the most uh, ruthless. They were terrible to work with. Mm. Um, and like, if that's what Christianity means to their lives, then I want nothing to do with it. Mm. And it's a microcosm of whether we like it or not, the plausibility of the gospel message that we proclaim is on display every day hmm. when we go to work, especially if we're in a kind of a for-profit context or a, a context where we're around lots of other people. Yeah. And, and just to say part of the beauty and the, the life transformation of the gospel where it shows up is in difficult uh, conversations with the supervisor or a client mm. or a fellow business person. And at the very least, that's just one aspect of faith and work integration, but thinking through how do we do our jobs with excellence, with grace, with forgiveness, with, with humility, uh, with justice, like that, that is a picture of how God, the God we proclaim, uh, we say he rules. Mm. And of course, we're all in process, right? Yeah. You know, we're all, we all fall. But even there, um, the humility to say I was wrong and would yeah. you forgive me um, is a little signpost of, of, of the gospel. And, and I would just say, like, if you think that you can live however you want in your workplace and proclaim the gospel, uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, because people, people know oftentimes that we're believers in the, in the workplace yeah. and they're walking, watching us very carefully. That's really good, man. I mean, it comes back to what you said earlier too, about, uh, being, uh, conformed into the image of Christ being conformed into you know, the way that we were created to be as image bearers, um, mm -hmm. um, and to become more conformed into that image. I think that's. I think that's huge, and you know, I, I know it, it's been said. Uh, I know I've, I've heard made made to flourish say it. You know, we spend a hundred thousand hours of our life in the workplace, and that's that's a lot of opportunity for um, putting the gospel on display. You know, and just the way with yeah. the way that we conduct ourselves with others. 
Yeah. And I, I told the negative example of, of my friend and his dad, and there's lots of positive uh, examples we could tell as well. I, I, I used to tell the story uh, from Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller's book yeah. of uh, this manager who uh, is a faithful Christian trying to live out the gospel in his work. And and um, there's a person on his team that has messed up again. And um in a very public way, this boss takes the blame hmm. for this employee in front of like um, some powerful people. And afterwards, this employee came to uh, her boss and said, you know, I've had a lot of bosses take the credit when I've done the work, um, but I've never had someone take the fall when I was to blame. Hmm. Uh, why did you do that? And, you know, <laughs> The boss basically said, listen, um, we all need grace. And, and mm. part of what is informing my actions is is my faith. And I believe in a God that actually took the blame for me and took the fall for me. And I can't always do that. But I felt like in, in this moment, um, that's exactly what was needed. Mm. And uh, and the woman said, I don't know what I believe, but where do you go to church? <laughs> wow. And and we don't always get those dramatic moments, but just to say that as we are reenacting these central themes of the gospel in the context of our work, what a picture it is to people. Yeah. That's really good. What a, I mean, what a great story and a reminder too that, I mean, what, I mean, that people are watching and uh, I mean, that can have a huge, a huge impact. What are some practical ways that, you think someone can begin to live out a, a Christian, a biblical understanding of work. Um, are there just some simple little mindset shifts or practices that they can do to, to begin to see that, that shift in, their, uh, in the way that they work and the way they view their work? Yeah, just two or three real quick things. I guess, um, you know, I, I would just say that uh, the word ministry who's a minister, you know, Tucker, you're, you're a minister and people probably sometimes ask you, why did you go into the ministry or you're in the ministry? And I would just say ministry in the Bible is never a job title. It's never a career path. It is what is given to every single follower of Jesus, Mm. wherever they are. So if you're a stay at home parent, you have ministry uh, Mm. today to do uh, to those you serve. If you are a hiring manager, if you are a mechanic, you have ministry to do as you serve others with the love of Jesus in your spot. And that's part of uh, what it means just to believe that you are called first to Mm. a person uh, to love God with your whole heart and to, um, you know, glorify Jesus. And, um, and your work is an expression of that. So just offer it to him. And maybe it's on your way to work um, each day. You just say, God, today is yours. Or you look through your calendar and you just say, I've got these three meetings. I'm super stressed about them. God, may you have your way. Help me to represent you. But embrace your work as a calling and press into what that means. Um, The second uh, thing that I would just say is, is how can you bring the the spiritual practices of prayer or um, meditation on scripture actually into your into your work day. Hmm. Uh, I have a, a friend who was a pastor and, and it was, um, 
he was the CEO of a, a global car company <laughs> and one that we would all know about. And this pastor said, you know, how do you think about, how do you think about your work? What does that look like for you? And he expected to hear nothing very inspiring from this, <laughs> this auto uh, executive. But the guy said, well, every day I start my prayers and I, I try to pray for every single one of our stakeholders. Hmm. First of all, I apply, uh, I pray for all of our employees that God would bless them and help them to have joy in their work and to serve wow. one another. He said, then I think about our supply chain and I ask that they would be guarded and that they would find in us an agreeable partner. And then he says, I, I pray for all of our customers and our salespeople that um, there would be good relationships and they wouldn't feel manipulated. In other words, like he had a vision for every single person that wow. touched his business. And I thought, what a beautiful example that is whether we're a CEO or not, if we work in a, you know, a global marketplace, there's lots of people that, that we interact with. What does it look like to bring those to the Lord on a regular basis? So how do you engage spiritual practices in your work? And there's lots more that we could say about just those first two things, embracing your work as a calling and, and bringing in spiritual practices into the context of your work. See what God might do. I mean, those are, those are things that I feel like, wow, I could do so much better even in my own vocation, my own calling um, of pastoral ministry. That's a, what a, what a great reminder, a great, uh, and, and great practical things that we can do um, wherever we, wherever we are. Yeah. I oftentimes say as a pastor, we're no more likely to integrate faith and work than you are in yeah. your job. We have <laughs> the same challenges. Yeah. That's good. One, if I can give one final story, yeah. I know we got to wrap up here, but um, Dallas Willard, um, gives this example. He says, what if you're a plumber and you're under a house and there's a pipe uh, that's broken and you don't know how you're going to get to it. And it's really cold and it's, it's really challenging. He said, the worst thing that you can ever think in that situation is it's just me in the pipe. Hmm. You must never think that. <laughs> in that moment, you call down the work of God, you call upon the Holy Spirit to empower you and to provide a solution, hmm. and, and you do your best. And what happens is over time, you begin to see these coincidences of provision happen, and you thank God for it. And uh, I would just say to all of our listeners, whatever your work is, it's never just you in the pipe, hmm. but whatever you're facing, ask the God of the universe to provide to intervene and see what might happen. That's great. Well, that's a that's a great word to end on. And Matt, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege to have this conversation today, and uh, really appreciate you uh, appreciate you joining us. Um, I you know I I really uh, want to thank you too. Uh, you know, just made, made to flourish has been instrumental in my own thinking, um, my own education, my own uh, my own practice. And I uh, really uh, am grateful for, for all of uh, the time and resources that you've put into pastoring pastors um, as well as uh, their congregations. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tucker. It's been a joy to be with you today. Well, I also want to thank you all for listening. If you would like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit calvarychurch.us. I'll also put a link to Made to Flourish in the show notes so that you can take a look at, uh, at the work that uh, Matt and the others on his team are doing. Uh, you can check Calvary Church out online or in person on Sunday mornings. Uh, we would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. Uh, we look forward to having you join us again next week. <laughs>